Hey everybody, welcome to another Sermon Extra. This is coming after uh, this past week's sermon on 1 Kings chapter 6, where we were really looking at a long description of the temple and kind of distilling that all down to what is this temple communicating to the people of Israel in exile. Namely, it's communicating how precious it is to have God's presence among them, the temple being the divine dwelling, the way by which they commune with God, and that this loss of God's presence is a great loss. And we saw that it was maintained on the basis of faithful covenant keeping by the king. And so on that hand, only Jesus Christ, the perfectly faithful king, allows us to dwell with God. And Jesus as the final temple has become the place by which we meet with God. That is, both the temple and the king find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. And the two things I want to look at in this sermon extra, the first I want to look at the idea of obedience which uh, I consider an underrated concept. And then secondly, the idea of what the temple says to us about eschatology, that is uh, the end times or last things. So obedience and eschatology. So first, obedience. When we look at the temple, we saw that the holiest place in the temple had the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant held the law, that is the Ten Commandments. And what that's showing us is one, that God is the lawgiver, but that, secondly, access to God's presence is by way of law. You see, God entered into a covenant of works with Adam, and that on the basis of his perfect, perpetual obedience, he would live in God's presence. But, as we know, Adam and Eve sinned, and that covenant was violated. Because to dwell with the holy God is required perfect holiness. That is, there can be no sin. And so, the Lord creator is the life giver. He created all things, sustains all things, but he's also the law giver. As the creator, he has the rights, the prerogatives to direct how man should live. And his ways for man to live are ways that conduce to true life. To disobey God, to sin, is to go the way of death. And sin always produces death. And so the symbolism in the temple as we saw the engravings of flowers and fruits and palm trees, it's a picture of life, but life that comes by way of law. The Lord is the life giver and the lawgiver, and the way of the law is the way of life. We often forget this as we understand the gospel, but the base of the gospel is Christ keeping the law for us, Jesus being obedient in our place. And therefore, his obedience being imputed to us, covering our disobedience. And so we're accepted with God by the basis of Christ's grace, his blood and righteousness, but because Christ obeyed the law perfectly. And law is often a sort of like dirty word to us, but when we think of law, we're thinking of living in the way God designed the world to be lived in obeying the end to which all things are created. And God is the one who designed us, knows the best way for us to live, which conduces to human flourishing and happiness. But the way of the law is the way to life. And we have this fully in Christ because Christ obeyed on our behalf. We who believe in him have merited eternal life. But now in our lives, we want to follow the way of Jesus to participate further in the life that we've objectively earned. And so what this means is that the more we obey God and participate in the way of Jesus, keeping his commands, all that he's commanded, 
obeying him, the more that is the way to truly abundant life, the life God designed us to live. That is, as we obey God, we live as true humans in a way that God intended us. It'll always be imperfect in this life, but it is the way of life, is the way of obedience. The joy of heaven will partially be that heaven is a place of perfect obedience. Everyone walking in perfect conformity to God's ways, perfect love to one another, perfect peace, perfect justice. I've uh, started reading recently a really wonderful short book by the 19th century author Andrew Murray, who I highly commend all his works to. His book, Humility, um, Absolute Surrender, both just excellent, short, heart-stirring books. But he has a book called The School of Obedience. I just wanted to share a few quotes from that. He says, the very entrance into this life, that is this Christian life, demands the vow of absolute obedience or the surrender of the whole self to be, think, speak, and do every moment, nothing except what is according to the will of God and well-pleasing to him. That is, he's saying the Christian life is one where we commit to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Our goal, our standard is nothing less than total perfect conformity to the will of God, likeness to Christ. He says again, may God reveal to us whether we are indeed fully obeying him, seeking utterly to destroy all and spare nothing that is not in perfect harmony with his will. It is only wholehearted obedience down to the smallest detail that can satisfy God. That's what God is seeking after us. We know we'll never attain it, but we want to shoot for greater and greater obedience. Uh, years ago, I just started a habit when it was the time of year thinking about New Year's resolutions. I would often just simply quip, my resolution is to sin less. That's what I want, to sin less, to obey God more, because that will be the way of true life. And if we're tempted to become legalistic in this, again, Andrew Murray reminds us that Christ's obedience is first of all to be accepted and trusted in and rejoiced in as covering and swallowing up and making an end of my disobedience. This is the one unchanging, never to be forsaken ground of my acceptance. So the key here is that we have to remember that our acceptance with God is on the basis of Christ's obedience imputed to us, but that doesn't mean we get to slack off. We don't sin that grace may abound. And I want us all as Christians to have higher standards for ourselves. We ought to be aiming for nothing less than perfect obedience to God. In, um, in the uh, 18th century, there was a Danish philosopher, existentialist philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. And um, he has a lot of good writings, some good stuff, not... Uh, not all to be taken without a grain of salt, but um, his main heart was when he looked around at the national church, uh, the church in Denmark that everyone just said they were a Christian. And his issue was not so much that, um, that the people were failing to live up to what God had called them to. He said, of course, as Christians, we're never going to live up to this high obedience God calls us to. But his issue was that the church in the way they taught and the way people lived had brought the standards of Christianity so low as to make Christianity having standards of little more than just living the American or there the Danish dream of just being a generally nice person and good citizen. And so the problem is that too often 
Because we know that perfect obedience is unattainable, we lower the standards of Christianity to look little more than just a good American citizen who raises a family and does his duty, and we shoot for nothing higher than some low level of obedience and feel well pleased that we have our devotions and we're raising nice kids. No, the standard of discipleship is so high, and we ought to expect to be falling short, but as Paul says in Philippians 2, striving forward, pressing on to lay hold of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let's be people that rebel against low standards and low expectations and turn the ideas of law-keeping and obedience away from negative concepts into positive concepts. We ought to love obeying Jesus because obedience is the way of life. So let's remember that. Secondly, I want us to talk briefly about how temple theology affects our eschatology. So we talked about how in the Garden of Eden, there was a unity of heaven and earth. God dwelt with man, walked with man in the garden. In the fall, there's a separation. God leaves the garden. Man is kicked out of the garden, and there's a separation between heaven and earth. The tabernacle and temple is one of the first signs of the reunification. God has come down to dwell among his people. We were designed to live with God, and we live with God now on the basis of Christ's sacrifice by which we can be reconciled to God. Now, here's an issue. There's a misconception when we think of eschatology is to think that God's purpose for this world and God's purpose for humanity is to take us from this world and bring us up to heaven where he is. Certainly this happens immediately when we die, but the eternal state is not um, just our souls in heaven, but it is the resurrection, the new heaven, and the new earth. The end goal is not for humanity to be removed from the earth and to go up to heaven. The end goal, which we read Sunday evening in Revelation 22, the picture is heaven comes down to earth, and it says God now comes to dwell with man. This is significant for how we view our lives in this world. If we see the end of humanity and the end of our existence as leaving behind what is earthly and just going to an ethereal heaven, what that does is it causes us to lose a place for the earth. What this means is that the focus is then enti is entirely heaven. And if heaven, i.e. what we might consider spiritual or invisible realities are all that matter, then what this leads to is an overemphasis on piety, worship, and evangelism. Now, none of those are bad things. Those are all amazing things. But what happened particularly in the Middle Ages in Roman Catholic theology was a degradation of the life lived. And so work six days a week had no relevance. To work in the week was just to get to Sunday where we did the only thing that really mattered, meet with God. And therefore, that led to movements like monasticism, to leave behind all worldly goods and just devote yourself to 24-7 prayer. That would be what true holiness would be. And common people that couldn't really do that, well, they're stuck in the earth. But the goal is to leave earth and to get to the spiritual. And there is truth here. We ought to be people of pious minds and worship, intense spiritual mindedness. That is, we ought to focus on the heavenly 
But when we don't have a place for the earthly, we err, and we don't see how our lives connect to the gospel. And so a theology of the earth recognizes that God has created us not just to love him, but to love our neighbors. Think of how many times the Bible speaks of the importance of doing justice in this world, of enacting righteousness, of caring for others, of showing love and practical deeds of service and goodness. Because we know that the creation itself, Romans 8 says, is longing for renewal, longing for the um, revealing of the sons of God. And that God will remake all things, even as he is already at work renewing the creation through the gospel. And so we can see that our work in this world, our works for justice, alleviation of suffering, scientific progress, construction, creating, maintenance, all these things are part of the good God intended for us. And the ultimate goal is for God to come back to earth and imbue the whole creation once again with his presence. And so the question as we live throughout the week is how, what would this look like if God was a part of it? What would my work look like if it was based on love for God and faith in God and the wisdom of God for the purposes of God, to serve others, to show forth his love and his goodness? The question is, how do we see on earth as it is in heaven what we pray for become a reality. We want to see now, even though it won't be full, heaven coming down to earth, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That is people obeying God, us living lives of obedience, serving others, loving as God loves. Now here again, there is balance because some theologians overemphasize the earth and lost the heavenly and an emphasis on good works, helping the poor, which are all good things. If you lose the heavenly, then you lose the distinctiveness of Christianity. And there's a slow slide towards pluralism and humanism. And so the balanced Christian ought to be able to hold heaven and earth together. If we can maintain the importance of the essential distinctiveness of Christian worship and Christian devotion and Christian spirituality, that's essential but also fighting for Christian justice and love and service to our neighbors. We need a theology of heaven and earth together, faith and love, word and deed, truth and justice. That's a good way to understand life in this world. Uh, one other thing is um, another movement in American theology that was uh, based on ideas of the badness of earth, was a dispensational theology. This was a new theology in the 1800s that basically said um, the end times are imminent. God is going to destroy this world, rapture the church out of it. And another practical effect here is that if the end of this world is just fire and destruction instead of renewal, then there's no need to care for the earth. All we need to do is evangelize and hope to get out of here. Uh, the issue is here is it is again missing this idea in scripture of temple theology, heaven coming down to earth. And so that is actually what really led to uh, a strong movement against caring for creation, against seeking to steward God's earth was this idea, really an eschatological idea, that the end of this world is destruction. Therefore, we can destroy the earth now as much as we want. But the truth in scripture we see is one towards the renewal of creation. And therefore, as Christians, we ought to be incentivized to care for God's earth, 
uh, to use it to serve the good of our fellow man in love, but to steward it as a resource God has given us to promote peace and justice in this world. So a biblical perspective is one of caring for God's world in wisdom as ones who are called by God to look after and use well the resources he's given us for his glory and the good of our fellow man. So let's seek this week to live lives where the sense of the divine and the ways of Christ and his obedience comes in to permeate every aspect of our lives, our average work, our family life. Everything is meant to be marked by the presence of God with us, his ways flowing through us, his word coming from us. Uh, Let's be people that are obedient and looking towards the renewal of all things.